it. Welcome to another episode of Strata Shorts. My name is Thomas Schreiber. I'm the director of marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, and we'll be diving into in-house billing versus managed billing, the pros and cons of each, and when it's the right time to transition to managed billing for your practice. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. This conversation of in-house billing versus managed billing is a divisive one, and everybody picks sides. And the reality is, is that it's a really nuanced thing, and sometimes it makes sense to stay in-house, and in other cases, it makes sense to go managed. In a nutshell, one of the benefits of in-house billing is that you have direct oversight over the people, the processes, the systems. And in some cases, that may make sense. For example, let's say you only take Medicare. I'm making this up, but let's just kind of, let's, let's roll with it. Let's say you only take Medicare. You don't accept any other patients. Well, when you're talking about one payer, that's not the end of the world. You could probably have somebody that's already working in your office kind of also do part-time billing because those rules don't change very often. You're probably not seeing enough volume for it to matter anyways. Maybe you have like 20, 30 visits a week. One or two people on your team can handle that. Another reason why you might keep it in-house is if you just don't accept insurance at all. Let's say you're a cash-based business and that's what you want to do. You're probably better off just keeping it in-house and chasing down patients and, and all that. And one other thing to talk about with in-house billing is I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make when they go with in-house is they don't realize that it takes more than just one person. So you can't just have one person do it all because that one person, for example, let's say they need to take a vacation once a year or whatever your vacation policy is, billing could effectively stop for that week. And we talked on a previous episode about like how thin the margins are, that could be a problem. You could hit a payroll problem 45 days later. So what I like to tell people is, is that if you're going to do in-house billing, if it makes sense for your business, that's totally okay. But I tell them two things. Number one, just understand that to get real coverage, like to really do it right, you can't have less than three people doing it. And people are going to get angry with me on that, I'm sure. But you really do need like three people at least in your business or in your practice that are trained with billing for continuity, just for a lot of reasons. The second thing I tell them is, is, hey, just bookmark our practice benchmarks page and make sure you're comparing your operational metrics, your financial metrics to the data that we have for your state. And that way you kind of know like what you're doing well at and what you're not. So that's on the in-house side. Again, I think it makes sense when you're doing something unique like cash pay, or maybe you only have one payer, maybe two payers, not, nothing more than that. If you are more complicated, let's say you're seeing more than, I don't know, let's call it 75 visits a week, because that's really where it starts to get more complicated. If you're starting to get like 75 or more visits a week, maybe even 50 visits or more a week, you should at least explore managed billing because it gets a lot more complicated as the visit count goes up. It also gets way, way more complicated if you start accepting multiple insurance payers. You know, in a nutshell, once that happens, you kind of have to go explore managed. 
even if you choose to stay in-house, it's worth exploring it because now you're sort of getting the benefits of scale. So for example, I I know this is like sort of self-serving, but for example, there are some managed billing services that are completely outsourced and offshore and they might be what you want to do, right? Like you could have a call center of a hundred people in India or Pakistan or Brazil that take your claims and, and do that. And again, that might be right for you, but you know, on our end, like we're heavy, big believers in technology. We keep everything on the U.S. side of the soil for a lot of different reasons. But with managed billing, you're really just kind of becoming a part of a much bigger operation. So for example, with a system like ours and a setup like ours, we are financially and operationally motivated to keep everything running at all times because thousands of people depend on their money getting collected. On the flip side of that, our system, when you're looking at thousands and millions of claims over time, our systems are constantly learning. So we see a payer rule update happen somewhere. We make that code update happen within a few hours. All of a sudden, that fix is now available and, and deployed to all users right away. So the thing I like to tell people on the, that are not technical is I, I say, like, look, robots don't sleep. <laughs> Computers and code don't sleep. They don't need to go on vacation. They don't need to be fed. They don't have parties to go to. And so with managed billing, the worst case scenarios are sort of mitigated because now you've got a larger system working for you. And in the best case scenario, you're, you're ahead of the curve. You don't have to think about managing billers, continuing education for them, that constant cat and mouse game, that sort of thing. So I could probably go on about this for like an hour. But again, it really, I think the key thing to kind of wrap up on this is that that debate between in-house versus managed billing is a very divisive issue. And obviously I'm biased and I think you should go managed. But I think the sort of the middle of the road scenario here is, is to just investigate both sides of it and make a decision for yourself. Because again, there's certain cases where it makes sense to keep it in-house. But more often than not, especially given how complicated things continue to get, the case for managed billing continues to grow every year. When a practice owner is looking at both options, what are some things that you've seen they're not realizing when they're you know taking into account this path versus that path in terms of understanding cost and understanding true reimbursement rate as well. If I had to summarize that or summarize an answer to you and say like, what are the top three things or top three mistakes I see people make when they're investigating in-house versus managed billing? The top three things I think would be, number one, they get overly fixated on one thing. So for example, might be price, right? So they're like, well, the price for so-and-so's billing is X, your price is 7%. That's higher. And what I like to say to people that that think about that is I say, well, look, I'm half joking, half serious. You name the price, but I get to control all the other variables. (laughs) And then that sort of sometimes resets, like, what do you mean? What are the other variables? You know, and we can come back to that. So the first problem is that they tend to over index on one variable, like price, instead of looking at the overall equation. And again, we can talk more about that in a minute. The second mistake they typically make is that they don't have a real understanding, a true understanding of what their current reimbursement rates are. So as an example, I'll ask somebody like, you know, I don't mean to pick on people, but I'll ask somebody that's doing in-house billing, hey, what's your actual reimbursement rate? And they'll say, what's 100%? And I'll say, well, like, over what time period? And they're like, well, you know, I've been in business for 30 years. I always collect. And it's like, 
well, that doesn't make any sense. If your metric is that you're going to chase every dollar for as long as it takes, send a collection officer after a patient, good for you, but that's not how the real world works. We've got certain benchmarks off the top of my head, like depending on state and stuff like that. We kind of want to see 70% of your revenue reimbursed within 30 days. And we want the any leftover, let's say that you're dealing with certain payers that might be paying in 45 days, for example. We really want the majority of the rest of that to come in within 60 days, worst case within 120 days, you know? And, and so, again, we can talk more about that, but the second big issue that they make is there's no true understanding or real understanding of the actual situation they're in. And I think the third big problem or mistake that they make is that they don't really come in with an open mind. You know, if you were to look at sort of our best clients that work with us, I would say that if you were to like randomly pick out five of our clients from across the country and stand them up against a wall, I think one of the patterns that you would detect right away is that they're not romantic about their business or their practice. Like they understand what they're good at and what they don't need to be good at. So for example, they need to be good at healthcare. They need to be good at sort of the operational metrics of how do I make sure my staff shows up to work and, you know, career development and all those things. But billing, particularly as billing gets more and more complicated every year, that's not their core business. And I think that third mistake they make is not realizing what business their practice is actually in. So I know that was a little bit of a long answer, but just to summarize, you know, again, the biggest mistakes are number one, they overly fixate on one thing as opposed to the overall picture. Second thing is they often don't have a real understanding of what their financial picture looks like. And then finally, the third biggest mistake is that they don't realize or accept what business they're actually in. Sure. And let's go back to that first one, Paul, in terms of understanding the, you know, you can look at a certain percentage and say it's 5% versus 7%, but there's a lot of other factors going on um, fees, startup fees that you have to take into equation on top of understanding what your, your reimbursement rate truly is. Yeah. So let's talk about sort of the price aspect of it first, because I think that that's a touchy one. And that's really like, understandably, one of the bigger questions everybody has. So just full disclosure, we charge 7%, 7% of whatever we collect, and that's it. Now, at face value, I'm pretty sure that's the most expensive rate in the industry. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, maybe there's somebody out there that charges something more. I don't know. But as far as I know, that's probably, of all the reputable firms that are out there, I'm pretty sure we're the most expensive. And I think that it's important to understand that like, there's a total cost of ownership that you have to think about. So first off, when you think about what you're currently paying, you're probably paying for software maybe scheduling software, maybe some sort of EMR, maybe some sort of other tools for marketing, you know, email, whatever. In our case, we believe software should be free. So our EMR, 100% free. Every feature update, there's no like tiers, gold, silver, platinum. There's no user account fees. It's literally free. And then our billing system is then bolted on on the back end of there. And that's what we charge for. So in terms of like that total cost of ownership, first things first is to really think about all the things you pay for to run your practice. And we just believe that that software should be free. The software component should be free. Second thing, again, in the context of total cost of ownership is to think about staffing. For most businesses in this country, including practices, the largest line item of expenses is payroll. So that first bucket of ownership is really software expenses and thinking about what that looks like. That should go to zero. 
Second is thinking about payroll. I know it sounds awful to say this out loud, but when you're a practice owner and you're really serious about running your practice, profit has to be a big part of that. Just that profit pays bills, not revenue. And you want as much of your payroll expenses going to revenue generating employees, whether it's more clinicians in your practice, maybe a marketer, maybe, you know, that sort of thing. You really shouldn't be uh, bearing the cost of, you know, headcount on the billing side unless it really, really makes sense to you. And then the third part is, is just realizing that cheap is actually dangerous. So could you go to like a outsourced billing firm in Pakistan or India or Brazil and get 3% as a billing charge? 100% you can. 100%. But I will tell you, and maybe this is like a challenge, go try it. And what you'll find is very quickly is that the numbers don't work. Well, I'll just be very direct. Here's what's going to happen. If you pick a cheap provider, if you pick a managed billing service based on price alone, I would guarantee you that within 90 days, 120 days max, you're going to quit. Because the reality is is that, you know, it's a race to the bottom. And those big factories of people are really just going to focus on your largest claims. Your smallest claims are going to kind of run by the wayside. And to put it in plain English, your true reimbursement rate is likely going to be somewhere between 60 and 80%. And uh, we can show data. I just posted on LinkedIn and Twitter the other day. Maybe it'll go in the show notes. But like, I posted real data from a new client of ours before and after. So I know I'm kind of going long there, but when it comes to that price component, it's just important to understand the total cost of ownership. And again, whether you use us or not is irrelevant. I think you just need to understand what your real business is and what the real costs are. And Paul, talk about the difference in terms of Strata's reimbursement rate versus someone else's. And I think if you go to someone else, 68%, you know, likely what you're going to get. And those smaller claims are going to be kind of just by the wayside and, and forgotten about. But that's really the small stuff is where we get to that 99.99% with Strata. That's how you get there. You don't ignore the small stuff because the small stuff adds up. Okay, so if we're going to talk about the real reimbursement rate should be 99.999%, I think you have to understand that there's more to it. Here's the thing about human beings. It doesn't matter whether they're in the U.S., outside the U.S. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. Humans make mistakes. Humans generally tend to optimize for the short term. Just we're animals, right? And the reality is, is that the battle that you're in as a practice owner is not to be super hyperbolic about this, but like the battle you're in is sort of like David versus Goliath. You are one practice, maybe with multiple locations or not, but you're a single practice owner. You're asking very large insurance payers to pay you who actually have no incentive to make that easier for you over time. Over the last 20 years, they've made it harder and harder every year. So when you start to think about that, you know, I guess really what it comes down to is, what do you believe? Do you believe that a small army of people can actually win against multi-hundred billion dollar, in some cases, multi-trillion dollar insurance payers? Look, I'm an optimist, but that's just not how it works. I think that technology has to be part of the battle. I think that like you either need to invest heavily in technology, not just people, but technology to file the claims, to chase every penny and all that, or you need to find a, a partner that is doing that and jump on board. So yeah, like when it comes down to that 99.999% reimbursement rate that we have, that we publish on the website, that we expose, you can at any point see our real data out there. I think it's important to say that, yeah, we've got great people on the team, but 
the vast majority of what we do is really heavily leveraged with technology. And again, I, I, for any of our staff listening, that is not a statement of, you know, oh, our people aren't working. That's not it at all. It's really just about like, as we grow, one of the things I like to say internally is, is we need to make sure that we do our utmost everything we can to never have more than 100 people on the team. We're recording this mid-2023 right now. We've got about 30 people on the team. And I really don't want us to ever exceed 100 people. Not because I don't want to like keep growing, but because like that's a nice forcing function to keep us over-investing in technology. And that's how we're going to help win that David versus Goliath fight. And again, I, I'm half joking, but half serious, but computers don't sleep. Robots don't sleep. Code doesn't sleep. That's why, like, if you look at our website in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, you'll still see real claims coming through the system. You'll see that live ticker always moving. That's not fake data. That's real. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Shorts. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.